0: Financial Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. And as you know, I talk about four different types of freedom, time, financial, location, health, freedom. And I'm always scouring the globe, looking for entrepreneurs, doing things on the cutting edge and impacting the world. So today we have um, a fellow Texan, Talia, from Austin, Texas, joining us today. And she's going to be talking about business, entrepreneur, getting started, and it's going to be really insightful, impactful conversation. And I'll welcome her to the show. So, Talia, welcome!
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, everyone in my personal life and business life knows me to turn my friends into business owners and entrepreneurs. So, I always love an opportunity to share some value with fellow business owners.
0: Yeah, no. And then you—you uh, you have this interesting thing where you—you're um, uh, 21 years old, and you learn the most valuable lesson in business. So share that with the audience and we'll get right into it.
1: Yeah, it uh, it's one of those crazy things where as a young 20-year-old, I feel like you, le- you have to learn so much about who you are as a person. And I just threw myself into business at a pretty young age when I was about 19. So it started off as just babysitting in college because how else do you make money as a 19-year-old in college? Um, and that's what I did. And then word of mouth just grew really fast for me when I was studying in New York at the time. And I ended up needing to create after-school programs and all the the things. But that that was actually my first experience in business. And it was a lot easier because I had this crazy referral network. And as I started venturing into trauma and trauma therapy, which is what I was studying at the time, I would go out and I would network. And when people asked me what I did, it was one of the hardest things to answer and actually get it across because any professional knows this, you know, eyes ablaze over, it falls on deaf ears. You say you're a coach or you say you're a consultant or you say you're whatever your title is and people immediately put you in a box. And so I realized at a very young age that it did not matter how much value I knew that I had because I had gone through extensive training. I just threw myself into this world very young. It didn't matter Um, at all, what my experiences were and what I knew I could give people, if they didn't understand it based off of my answer to that question of what do you do, I was just not going to be seen and recognized. And so that was really the lesson. Um, In a nutshell, you can be the most valuable business owner and professional on the planet. But if you don't know how to effectively communicate that value or what you do, it kind of almost doesn't really matter. So that was
0: the lesson. Yeah. And that's just that, that's very, um, very insightful and very impactful. We'll sort of untangle and unwind all of that. And yeah. uh, you talk about this uh, thing with um, uh, visceral communication, and I'm very interested in these adjectives. So describe yeah. it to the audience.
1: Yeah, so visceral, by definition, means that you're relating to someone's deep inward feelings versus just their intellect. I think a lot of the times in business, we try to speak like head to head, logic to logic. Do you understand me versus do you feel me? And do you feel my passion? And do you feel my value? And so visceral is a term that we coined around communication, which just far exceeds how we normally talk and converse in business and is really a mission to help companies and business owners learn the power of emotion. The funny thing, Chris, is people understand that emotions are powerful, but it's one thing to understand and use them in the right way. And so visceral is really how do you use emotion in the right way from a good place, not from a manipulative tactic in communication and marketing? Yeah,
0: I love that. It's like kind of like empathy and it's, and it's what you're talking about. It's like. You go one step further because you say communication is everything, but you say without psychology and understanding, then basically goes nowhere. Nothing. Yeah.
1: Can I give you a quick example of what I mean by emotion for a second? Yeah. Because it's worth contemplating and just taking a step back and wondering, uh, just thinking about this. So most people are familiar with an elevator pitch. Every single entrepreneur or business owner figures out what their elevator pitch is. And for some people, that process is so arduous and challenging because you've got to figure out how you're going to talk about what you do in this like 30 second, you know, spiel that you get. And so many people focus on the words and that's where it becomes really hard. But if you actually take a step back and think about the word pitch, pitch is all about tone or sound. And somehow it becomes this term like, what's your pitch? that bastardizes the original intent, which is that it's totally about tone and tonality. It's not about the words. And also, I don't know when elevator got into the picture, but that's just you know an interesting thing to take a step back and think about. It's actually the pitch of your pitch that matters.
0: Yeah, I love that. And it's all about tone and tonality, uh, the energy behind the words, the passion, the motion. Yeah. One thing is, uh, the other thing is, um, you have, you call it narrowing it down in one communication skill that business owners are missing.
1: Yeah, so really the answer to that is if you are just telling people what you do, but you're not telling people who you are and even more so like what your mission is on this planet with your business, you're really gonna miss the mark. The emotions come through the who, not the what, sometimes not even the why. So this is something I've been thinking a lot about you know, Chris, how in our world today, I'd say probably in the past decade, having a why and establishing a why as a company is almost like trendy. It's like something every company needs. But I don't think a why is as important as the who behind the why. Because you can have a why that like says all the right things. But if you don't have the right tone, if you're not the right person, and if you don't have like extremely high ethics and values, it doesn't actually matter. It's just a why. Yeah.
0: That, yeah. That's so, that's so well said. Um, and I, I like, I like how you're like adding on top of existing like paradigms and you're kind of make, yeah. making it your own. So what, we'll, what we'll kind of sh- uh, shift gears towards um, more like your entrepreneurial journey and building a business? And, um, so one thing is, um, uh, you know, one thing I ask a lot of entrepreneurs is obstacles and resistance, your learnings, and share with the audience?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, the top of that list is truly how I was communicating myself and what I would say about what I did. But, you know, the other thing around that um, is that one of the biggest challenges for me at the time was because I was still young. I mean, this is a decade later now. I'm in my early 30s. But when I was in my early 20s, I was like the only person in my peer group, in my undergrad kind of circle that was even thinking about business. and so I don't think that it actually matters if you're in your early 20s or if you're in your mid-40s or if in, you're in your 60s but the whole Lonesome wolf syndrome is so real and it was very real for me. It took me quite a bit of time to accept that my social circle was just going to include people that were 10 to 15 years older than me um but you know one of my biggest challenges in the beginning was it was, It was just lonely Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to be someone who had such a huge mission and such a big problem I wanted to solve. I mean, communication within business is a huge problem, but to be doing that at a young age and without a lot of people in my circle um, that were my age was really challenging.
0: Yeah. It's lonely at the top.
1: Yeah. You know, it's one of those things like here's another paradigm, Chris, that I think about sometimes. Everyone says it's lonely at the top but really sometimes it's lonely along the way. Mm -hmm. It's lonely on the way to the top because there are all these different benchmarks for what the top is. So what you agree upon, like a circle of friends or business owners is the top, everyone gets there and then you set a new top. And so I think it's actually more lonely on the way to the top. When you're at the top, you've got people there.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. And I was the same way because I was like, in med school, like all my classmates were, you know, partying, you know, they were networking in a different way. And um, I was interested in like business networking, you know, like, um, and uh, it's Yeah, like, I, I really resonate with that idea where nobody gets you. And it's just kind of like lonely. And, and it's like, you and then when you you know make something and then it's like everybody's like oh where did you go and like, <laughs> it's like oh you know it's 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 very counterintuitive so
1: it's so interesting <laughs> i totally relate to that
0: um you know the, some of the people are gen z and you know for future gen alphas and um your perspective on entrepreneurship young people rejecting a more traditional path you know what, yeah. what do you say to them
1: I love this topic. I feel like this topic can be a rabbit hole, but I'll try to keep it concise. I really believe that we are living, our younger generations are the most of all time. And by intelligent, I mean that they just have access to knowledge that no one had access to when they were young, even me before, you know, iPhones were a thing. And so I think they're the most intelligent, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're smart. And so I think that a lot of what's changing, especially within the past couple of years with the pandemic, and I see it so much. My youngest sister is just graduating college herself, and it's just a very different world for what young millennials or Gen Z actually want to do. So they very much, I've noticed, you know, there's a lot of gossip in the business world that these young kids don't want to work. And I think that's actually the wrong perception. I think they just don't want to work the way that you learn to work. And I think that they do want to work, but they are bigger problem solvers and bigger thinkers because of all the information they have available to them. So I believe that it's our social responsibility to support that and to groom them and develop them versus just like write them off as the generation that's going to you know, collapse the world because they're going to be sitting on their butts on TikTok. So I just think that that's a social responsibility that every business ever
0: has. It's funny because like, you know, Gen Z, you know, millennials, like my nieces and nephews, it's like, like they work, they know how to work smarter because like, they, they have a smartphone and, you know, they have social media. They can access millions of customers right there that, you know, they don't have to, you know, on yeah. corporate ladder or play politics and all this stuff. So.
1: It's uh, really true. I mean, yeah. again, they have that smartphone, but they're not smart. I'm not going to bash them. They are smart, but there there's a difference between in, intelligence and smartness, in my opinion. Like you can be intelligent because you read all the books, but if you don't do anything with it, I don't know if you're that smart.
0: Yeah. Um, the other um, interesting thing, you know, talking to you was um, you, you know, you intentionally had no website, no social media in the first years and you grew that, despite, and what was your logic and your strategy?
1: Oh, how much time do we have on this one? Uh, this is another one I can talk a lot about. But I was really fortunate. You know, I didn't have peers in my c- circle that were my age, and I didn't have friends necessarily at the time—good friends. But um, I was surrounded by a lot of incredible consultants and mentors, like true leaders in business in their industries. And so one of the pieces of advice that I got when I was 21 and I started my trauma coaching practice was not to have a website or any social presence. And the reason for that was to actually learn the skill of shaking hands and communicating offline before I started implementing all these online strategies that were going to have to change because my business was going to change so quickly from start to mid to end. There's no end. And so it was one of the best pieces of advice, and it's actually one that I share with businesses now. We are so quick because of technology to implement like lead generation strategies online and put up all the websites and basically get LinkedIn to work for you. But the problem is that a really good way of thinking about this is your online presence is just an amplifier of your offline presence and skill set. So if offline, when you're at a networking event or you're talking to someone in person and you cannot get across the value that you bring to the table and you cannot close business or you cannot lead with service and actually develop a deep relationship with someone, I promise you, you're not gonna be able to do that as effectively online because nothing changes except for the amount of exposure and eyeballs that you get. It doesn't mean that your message is actually that strong and that you're talking to the right people. So I really believe that less is more in the very beginning, if not for a long time.
0: Yeah, it sounds like what you did was you did things that, uh, what they call, I think Reid Hoffman was talking about this, where it's like in the early days, of before you actually scale with like social media, internet, you you do things that don't scale. So like the handshake and person, like these meetings. I love that
1: frame. It's really true. And it's also you know, it's a lot harder because you have to actually be able to sell without the validation of like, here are my testimonials and here's my website and here's my footprint and here's my credibility. If you can sell without needing any of that, you can pretty much sell.
0: Yeah. And it it becomes amplified. Like once you use like algorithms, social media. Yeah. The other thing is, yeah. The other thing is you talk about um, KLR cycle. What is that?
1: Oh yeah. So I think this is very familiar in business. It's another one of those paradigms. Maybe I should just rebrand myself as the person that breaks the paradigms, but um, in business. So in in networking, everyone is familiar with the phrase, you do business with people who know, like, and trust you. And as a result of that motto, people spend, if not years and years um, in networking groups where they basically go in and they tell people what they do and they like wait for their turn to talk really because everyone's going around in a circle and then they pray that they get referrals. And so for me, my perspective on that is that, hey, no like and trust isn't the right formula. It's no like and respect. People have to respect you for your expertise, for what you bring to the table for your value before they trust you with a referral. And so I think that trust is the byproduct. It is not the stretch. yeah
0: wow that's yeah that's very powerful and yeah i know we're coming toward the end um of the conversation really um nuggets of wisdom and i know you help actually you've helped people um become entrepreneurs you your friends and mm-hmm. so speak a little bit to the successes your company and how people can reach you follow you etc that's
1: so kind i you no, know, I just feel extra, extremely privileged. I feel honored to work with the companies that I work with. I would really call a lot of them good friends because business should feel that way. I want everyone to experience that. But um currently, I work mostly with financial firms and other companies in professional services. And my role for them is pretty much twofold. Um, as we're building our team of facilitators of visceral content and programs. Um, I work only one-on-one with the C-suite teams. And then we have group trainings for all of the sales teams and more client-facing roles um, where we basically train the companies in communication. And it is extremely fun. I've just been extremely fortunate to work with the companies that I work with. They're all really killing it in their own way in their industries. So it's also just really fun to work with people that are like true innovators <laughs> of their businesses.
0: Yeah. And how can how can people follow you and visit your website? And um
1: Yeah, so the best place is um visceral, our website's visceralco.com, V-I-S-C-R-A-L co.com. And um in a in a bit we're gonna have some really fun vi- video materials and content that's really just a give for business owners because I just love being able to share these shifts in perspective and the wisdom that I've been lucky enough to learn. So that's the best place to find us. And then I'll be doing a TED Talk in April. So if you want to pray for me and also, you know, come on my LinkedIn or on our website, that'll be available there too, where you go really deep in the concept around
0: communication. Yeah, that's going to be very fascinating. And um, let's, for the audience, let's thank uh, Talia for coming onto the show, uh, providing some really insightful, impactful ideas and concepts onto existing ones. And um, be sure to check her LinkedIn out as well as our featured TED Talk and her website. And uh, with that, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast and um, being such an inspiring resource.
1: Chris, thank you so much for having me. I I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope that people walk away with some nuggets.
0: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible.